Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite clear aligners are doctor directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. You're listening to Tell Me Everything on Sirius XM Progress 127. Uh, I'm John Thank you so much for being with us. Now, Patriot Front is a white supremacist group whose members maintain that um, their ancestors conquered America and bequeathed it to them alone, since they being white men did it with no help from anyone else. America therefore belongs to them white men. Uh, They define themselves as American fascists or American nationalists who are focused on preserving Americans' identity as a European-American one. Get used to the phrase European-American rights. Now, um, of course, over the weekend, we saw 100 of these charmers show up in Boston. Boston officials claim they had no prior knowledge of a march through the city uh, by this white supremacist group. And it is the ADL that defines them as that. By the way, Uh, local anti-fascist organizers confronted the marchers. They attacked a local black artist named Charles Murrell. Um, Patriot Front justifies their ideology of hate and intolerance under the guise of preserving the ethnic and cultural origins of their members, European ancestors. And they spread their propaganda largely on the Internet and by giving banners and flyers and posters and stickers. Lindsay Schubner directs the Western State Center's Momentum Program to counter the dangerous ascension of white nationalism across the country. The Western State Center is a nonprofit organ that works to counter all kinds of right-wing extremism. She's previously led advocacy efforts against anti-immigrant and anti-Muslim bigotry at the Center for New Community. She's also served as a congressional staffer, handling housing, health, and immigration policy. And you may have enjoyed her commentary in the past on PBS NewsHour or in the New York Times. Uh, Lindsay Schubiner, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Before we even get into it, let me just ask, how are you? How's your family doing at this time of COVID? It's not over. And uh, I always try to ask how people are managing to stay sane since we're getting back into orange infection territory again. Yeah, thanks for asking. We're we're hanging in there. Uh, You know, I'm I'm lucky to be able to be fairly cautious about COVID. So I'm grateful for that. Um, I'm grateful you're with us. Now, since 2019, Patriot Front's been responsible for the vast majority of white supremacist propaganda that's been distributed here in the U.S. Um, they, they have these local like flash mob or flash demonstrations across the nation. And of course, uh, they are very hyper patriotic, yet they also want to form a new state, one that advocates for the descendants of the creators, meaning white guys. Let me start with the most obvious question. Do you remember when this group first came across your radar when you first became aware of the Patriot Front? Because I know you encounter so many of these sects, and it's always strange to me which ones catch on and which ones fizzle out. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Patriot Front is a is an openly white nationalist group, and they formed following the the deadly Unite the Right rally in 2017, and actually broke off as sort of a, a successor to the neo neo Nazi organization Vanguard America. And Patriot Front's current uh, leader and founder Thomas Rousseau led Vanguard America members during Unite the Right, including um, the uh, the person who uh, who who ran into a crowd of protesters and right. killed anti-racist protester Heather Hare. So, you know, we have been tracking them since the, the very beginning and um, continue to be really concerned about uh, how they're operating and how they're working to build bigoted political power um, in the years since, but particularly with an escalation recently. How have you noticed ways that they have more um, been welcomed into mainstream politics by at least some people in the past couple of years? Yeah, I think it's it's connected to a much broader trend towards welcoming more of, of overt bigotry in our into our mainstream politics. And uh, it, I, it's really important to, I think, to see that as an intentional strategy, right? White nationalists uh, spread hate, yes, but they also are spreading hate and mobilizing bigotry specifically in order to build political power. And some of them are very savvy political actors and they're organizing where they see opportunities. Um, and uh, they certainly have been um, helped along by a number of uh, elected officials who now repeat things like the great replacement theory, you know, You're dangerous right. uh, conspiracy theory rooted in anti-Semitism. Uh, and really have just thrown open the door to more public and more open organizing by uh, overtly white nationalist groups. It's really true. And of course, they're influencing a lot more people as well. Look to the white nationalist shooting of 10 African-Americans in a Buffalo market in May. It already seems so long ago, but that was a shooter who was completely radicalized by this sort of white supremacist element uh, that, again, recruits online. Right. And we see that again and again with these with shootings, the way that conspiracy theories like replacement theory, you know, the, with the Tree of Life shooting, the El Paso shooting, as you mentioned, the shooting in Buffalo, the Christchurch shooting. There are, there are so many examples and it's it's so incredibly dangerous. Right. Um, those shootings specifically, but also the broader rise in political violence uh, in American politics at the obviously at the national level level with the insurrection and also at the local level where these groups are targeting democratic institutions and community institutions. Um, That's right. With with, you know, threats and intimidation up all the way to to violence. Well, and they're also really threatening democracy itself, or at least targeting democracy itself. There's a lot of traits, obviously, that these nationalist groups have in common, finding new code language for their bigotry is one, but they are really dovetailing with the GOP at large in terms of just a tremendous anti one person, one vote sentiment. That's absolutely true. And I think, you know, there are some ways in which their anti-democracy goals are really clear, right, in terms of undermining voting rights and supporting the insurrection. But I think there are also some ways in which it's not quite so obvious, especially for local governments where, you know, we see, uh, you know, violent rallies being planned by uh, bigoted white nationalist groups. And that really can undermine the ability of the local government to, you know, fulfill some basic responsibilities like keeping public space, you know, open and safe. Yes. Um, you know, uh, threatening uh, local elected officials such that, you know, many uh, uh, local elected officials have or school board members have felt like they had to resign for their safety and their family's safety um, or even things like, uh, you know, violence on public transportation. Thinking back to the murders on on, on Portland public transit right. um, a few years ago, uh, that has a, an enormous cumulative effect in terms of, uh, you know, the ability to of, of everyday people to participate in civil society, to participate in local government and, and particularly um, 
people of color, immigrants, LGBTQ people to participate. Okay, Okay. we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Progress. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. And welcome back. Where do you fit into all of this, the terrorist attack on our capital on January 6th, 2021? I, I don't see how you can separate that from white supremacy, but where do you place it all? Yeah, I think it's, it's absolutely inseparable. Uh, what, we're, what we're dealing with is an organized social movement uh, based on bigotry and working towards building political power. Uh, you know, for the white nationalists, that's political power towards an all-white ethnostate within the United States, as you said. Um, And that's directly connected to the insurrection. That's directly connected to the mass shootings. That's directly connected to efforts to undermine uh, uh, local democracy and threats towards government staff and, and civil servants. And it's directly connected to, you know, the the Patriot Front uh, uh, attempt to disrupt the pride celebration in Coeur d'Alene in June and the, the march in, in Boston last weekend. That's right. One other thing that you pointed out that I, I think is quite brilliant, you know, we, we talk a lot about the importance of trying to um, trying to drive a wedge in between the GOP and the far right fringe, uh, trying to, you know, go after their differences. But of course, they're constantly doing the same with folks on the left. And you've spoken quite eloquently about how the fascism movement in this country, the white nationalism movement in this country has actually been using homophobia and transphobia. Um, as a way to drive a wedge between uh, progressives and centrists and moderates, as a way of actually trying to exploit differences on the left um, and actually people who don't care about, say, trans rights at all are using anxiety about, say, what defines girls' sports in junior high school and using that to demoralize the left. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to understand how... um inherent this homophobia and transphobia is actually to white nationalist ideology, right? Most white nationalists hold a really distorted and bigoted view of gender uh, based on, you know, biological essentialism. And that's often the lens through which they express their homophobia and transphobia. And I, you know, misogyny and male supremacism are also dangerous anti-democracy ideologies that have driven many instances of of bigoted violence. Um, And so it's it's important to, I think, for those of us who who study this and work against it, we want to look, you know, at at, uh, some of the differences and how different strategies can be effective. But as a whole, they're they're closely interwoven. And we also need to understand how they um, support how these ideologies intersect and and support one another. And the ways in which, you know, supporting transphobia um, supports anti-democracy movements that promote a, a, a large number of other forms of bigotry. 
Yeah. And in fact, you know, I was just thinking about the fact that these groups, these white nationalist groups are using anti-LGBTQ organizing to their advantage. Um, We just saw this, what, last month in Mm -hmm. Idaho, uh, where we saw, again, members of Patriot Front were armed and planning to target a pride event until they got arrested because someone caught them all climbing into a U-Haul together in a hotel parking lot. I mean, it seems like they're not just using the homophobia politically. They're also seemingly plotting uh, to do harm to gay and lesbian Americans. Absolutely. And, you know, political violence is a huge part of the white nationalist movement. It's it's absolutely core. Right. It's not um, it's not some it's not like happenstance. Right. It's not an accident. It's uh, uh, it's it's directly connected to how they are working to build power uh, and uh, you know that's it violence and intimidation and threats are are part of how they're how they're building building power there we, we see it it's you know it's patriot front certainly but there's also the the situation last month where a group of proud boys interrupted a drag queen story hour in uh in san lorenzo in california I mean, you you pointed out that um, the uh, Our Bodies, Our Sports rally was Turning Point, Charlie Kirk's little fake organization, uh, his Mm -hmm. right wing club. And and they're trying to actually, you know, drag the conservatism back to rank bigotry. Does it seem like this year, in a way, the panic over trans girls competing in school sports is going to be what critical race theory was last year. I looked all over to find cases of trans girls cheating uh, in school sports. And I've looked all over for cases of critical race theory being taught in public schools. Um, I can't find either, but it seems like this is a winning formula to drive out the vote. And it seems like it's just bringing bigotry back into the mainstream under the guise of caring about children. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we see that again and again. Um, and we also, you know, these are um, these are forms of, of or vehicles for, for fairly open bigotry, um, both the attack on, on trans rights and the attack on, on critical race theory. Um, but it's also true that some of the most uh, violent and dangerous white nationalist groups are aligning themselves um, with these efforts and using them to recruit more members. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's, there's um, sort of a huge number of ways in which it's, it's incredibly harmful and um, uh, being exploited as a, as a political tool. Yeah. So a lot of people are, you know, hearing this and get very angry and want to know what we can do. And one of the great things that your work does is talk about the importance of local action. It's not just like watching MSNBC and getting mad at the footage. It's actually getting involved on a local level. How do we in our communities begin to push back against this? Yeah, thank you for that question. It's it's my favorite one. <laughs> Good. I want um, to do the horrible stuff first to get to the solutions. <laughs> Yeah, I think an incredibly important thing that that people can do is get involved at the local level. Um, You know, any group that you're a part of, whether it's, you know, if it's a book club, if it's a a local, um, you know, a a neighborhood group, if it's if you're if you volunteer for, uh, you know, a, a community service organization, any or or if you're an artist, right, any group that you're a part of, um, can have a role in, in speaking out and, and denouncing bigotry and, uh, and taking a stance in support of inclusive democracy. And one of the things that I find really hopeful about doing this work, which can uh, you know, be, be certainly difficult at, at times, um, is, is really understanding the ways that these are, these are social movements seeking to build political power, and we can also build political power, right? They have First <laughs> Amendment rights, so do we. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, they are making strategic decisions based on where they see political opportunities. So our job uh, in our local communities is to close off those opportunities, to build as big a coalition yes. as possible, 
to reject that, right? Involving businesses, involving, you know, every single elected official who supports democracy, you know, involving, you know, every community organization and involving, you know, arts and culture and musicians. Um, yes. And there's, there's just so much, uh, there's so much potential there. And there, there's a role for every single person. Every single local community has teenagers and old people who want to come out and protest Nazis. Any town, I'll find you teens and seniors who want to come out and punch Nazis. Um, For many, it's a question of how do you find the resources? How do you know what's in your community? What do you recommend? Yeah, well, to, to be clear, we don't we don't we don't support any any form of political violence. And by violence, the way, I don't but... support punching Nazis either. I'd say I do. I, I'm not <laughs> I against it. I just have to say that. Yes, no, you should not um, punch Nazis. But you know, talk. You know, get to folks can get to know your neighbors, right? Um, start attending city council meetings um, and speak out. Those have been, uh, you know, the sites of a lot of uh, bigoted organizing and having having voices supporting um, inclusion and supporting equity and supporting racial justice um, are, are incredibly important. Even just sending an email to a local elected official who's spoken out against bigotry saying you appreciate it. Right. Right. Um, Exactly. That, that can be, you know, can, can make, can make a big difference. Um, The the level of support that those uh, elected officials feel. How can our listeners learn more about your work and the Western States Center? Because uh, you've made me feel very hopeful. <laughs> That's great. Well, um, there, we have a lot of resources on our website, westernstatecenter.org. Um, we have a, a, a toolkit for schools, confronting white nationalism in schools. We have a guide for parents and caregivers to confront the impact of conspiracy theories in particular on young people that they that they care for. Um, we, uh, in partnership with the Bard Center for the Study of Hate and the Montana Human Rights Network, we published a, a community guide for opposing hate. Um, and we also have a set of recommendations for civic leaders within local government for, for things they can do. Right on. Lizzie Schubiner, what a pleasure. Please come back and see us again. I was so looking forward to this. And thank you for your work on keeping uh, the proud boys of America and the Patriot Fronts, et cetera, et cetera, at bay. Thank you and good thank luck you with your so work. Thank you so much for having me. We'll be right back. This is Sirius XM. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Tell me everything with John Fugelsang. So I'm so thrilled to welcome this next guest to the show because there are many thinkers that we've been thrilled to get. And then there's thinkers that we try to get for years, but scheduling is crazy. And Wajahat Ali is a columnist you probably know from his work at the Daily Beast, a senior fellow at the Western States Center. Uh, He's previously been a New York Times contributing op-ed writer and a CNN commentator and a HuffPost. And he co-hosted Al Jazeera America's The Stream, which was such a good show. I loved it. His book, Go Back to Where You Came From, and other helpful recommendations on how to become an American is on sale now. He's also co-host, along with our friend Danielle Moody, of the Democracy-ish podcast. And I, I, I've, I had to get him on because his new piece in Daily Beast is something that's essential to both understanding what's going on in our politics and understanding how to frame it and push back. It's a piece called The Four Stages 
of Republican Misinformation. Mr. Ali, it's a great pleasure to welcome you to the show. Thank you, John. I've been playing hard to get, but then once you got me, I proposed and you were like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. Let's just see how this first date goes. And I was like, I'll come on all the time. You're like, just ease, ease up, watch, back up. Back. Yeah, I think I think like a lot of guys, we neither one of us have wanted to seem too eager over this time. So I, I congratulate you on this mutual hard to get. And congrats on the great notices for your book. I want to have you Thank on you, another sir. time to, to talk just about that. Before we even dive in, how are you? How is your family? How are you guys doing during these crazy times? You know, we're doing well. Thank you for asking. Uh, for those who don't know, my daughter, who just turned six, right before the pandemic, she was diagnosed with stage four cancer and needed a full liver transplant. And uh, over 500 people, mostly strangers, signed up to be uh, a liver donor. And then we found this anonymous donor uh, who gave a piece of his liver. And the girl, uh, Nuseba, just turned six. And now she did her first MMA fight yesterday. And my son is doing well. And we had a baby during that time. So... Uh, we've gone through a lot like most folks, but uh, that that journey has given us uh, a much needed perspective that every day you have to invest in some joy. You have to find hope even in hopeless times. And we have to fight what I believe, and I think you'll agree with, are forces of fascism that are coming after uh, a majority and democracy. They're coming after our rights. And I, you have a kid, I got three kids, and this is the time when we can't afford to be cynical and apathetic, which are cheap and lazy. Uh, we have to get in the ring and fight and do what we can with whatever superpowers that we have. Absolutely. And the video of your daughter meeting her donor is one of the loveliest things I've seen <laughs> in ages. Thank you for sharing that. And I agree with everything you're saying. It's natural to be discouraged during mm. these times. But I've come to believe in the era of Trump that despondency is privilege. Despair is privilege. And wanting to give up is part of the gaslighting that's being inflicted on all of us. Believing that both sides are equally shitty is sort of permeating the air. And, uh, you know, to me, when I hear people just despairing in the democratic process itself, I think, wow, this is how democracy dies. The fascist plan is working. And I, I especially think of it today because we're recording this the day we see people go through an outrage cycle at Vice President Kamala Harris for basically uh, meeting with disability rights leaders and being thoughtful and using inclusive language in describing herself to blind people. It seems like I said for a long time that the one thing the left and the right share is a, a, an addiction to umbrage. Everyone loves to be offended. Left, right, we all love to be offended. But the right have weaponized it. And this yeah, piece the you've white, written... The white has please. weaponized outrage and perpetual victimhood, right? Bad faith complaints. And the problem with this both sides framing that you described is that the Overton window has shifted to the right. So the center is no longer the center. The center has shifted to the right. Everything to the right of that is conservatives. Everything to the left of that, which is the majority, like 70%, is seen as leftist, right? And every single institution, John, especially media institutions, we've been in this game a long time, we bend the knee to bad faith right-wing actors and, like you said, fake outrage, especially over this story, which is now trending, where our, our vice president is being penalized for being kind and thoughtful to an audience of, 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 of blind individuals, right, and using inclusive language. And we know specifically on social media, this has caused this disruption, these isolated cocoons, this right-wing ecosystem that radicalizes otherwise sane individuals and weaponizes this disinformation, right, to the point where a third of Republicans now believe they have to use violence to take back their country from the rest of us who are, wait for it, pedophiles and Satan worshipers. I'm not making that up. That's what they believe. Yeah. And it's like the Charlie Brown, I always, like the analogy I give is the Charlie Brown uh, cartoon where Lucy's like, has the football and Charlie's like, all right, you're not going to lift it away this time. And Lucy's like, no, I won't. And what happens each and every time she lifts the football in this scenario, the majority is Charlie Brown and the right wing is Lucy. And we fall for it again and again and again. And I'm just waiting for the moment where especially our colleagues who know better, especially in the media, say, you know what? My job is not to engage in a both sides false equivalence. My job is to be biased towards democracy and call out bullshit. I'd like to see that. And that's what the media is supposed to be. That's what journalism is supposed to be. But as you well know, the media and journalism are two very different things. And I have lots of people I love in what is called the corporate media. I've enjoyed working in the corporate media, doing a lot of shows. But I've had experiences on cable news shows that I'm sure you've done where I've had to come out and say, wait, you said the phrase Hillary's email scandal. There is no scandal. It's another example of how the framing that they use gets picked up 
by a media culture that doesn't care about speaking truth to power because that's not their job. That's the job of journalists. The media culture's job is delivering the highest possible ratings right. to the shareholders. We have to sell advertising time for the most nickels possible for diapers. So we can't risk offending anyone in Iowa. And it's why we see this per per perpetual chasing of the Fox News demographic by an industry that's so terrified of potentially alienating future viewers. Yeah, they're potentially alienating the same people who call them enemy of the people and want to inflict violence upon them, right? As a person who's worked in media organizations, uh, I can tell you that they're kind of like trained. It's almost like a Pavlovian response. We're like, oh, no, no, we cannot be perceived as biased. If we give John seven minutes, we have to give Mick Mulvaney seven minutes. Exactly. And now we're going to have Mick Mulvaney overtake this conversation and promote disinformation. The whole seven minute conversation is going to be hijacked by you, you know, hijacked by the disinformation. You trying to pretty much, you know, inject some form of truth, right? And this is how the disinformation becomes mainstream. It becomes normalized. I'll give you an example. The biggest news of the day, in my opinion, should be the breaking news of last night where the Justice Department is actually potentially investigative Trump, right? For That's what we led uh, with. For criminal, you know, for criminal acts, specifically, you know, maybe seditious conspiracy or fraud. And also the emails that were released were these idiots. Thank you, Republicans, for owning us by being so transparent and reckless with your coup attempt. These emails where they're literally emailing each other their coup attempt. Right. If in, in a normal sane America, John, that should be the leading news of the entire month. But Steve Bannon did say this. He said the enemy is not Democrats. The enemy is the media. And he specifically said you have to flood the zone with shit. You have to yeah. overwhelm them, going back to your earlier point, right, where people are so exasperated. There's so much that 10, you know, career ending scandals of Trump end up becoming eh, one night's worth of headline. And because of the both sides false equivalents, the other 50 percent becomes uh, Kamala Harris using inclusive language. Yeah. And that's also how democracy dies. Yeah, and it's shocking. And again, a lot of times you feel like, do we have to dumb it down to reach the largest possible audience? But I think that's another example of the framing. No, we have to simplify it. And you do a great thing in this piece where you take arguably the two biggest political stories of summer 2022, the hearings about the January 6th atrocity, and the conservative attempts to trivialize and weaponize and dispute the awful story of a 10-year-old rape victim in Ohio who had to travel across state lines because the state wanted to force this child to carry and bear her rapist uh, baby. And you actually use the two of them side by side to show this, as you put it, a tried and tested four-part strategy to manufacture lies and outrage to fuel the march towards fascism. Um, you know, it is pretty shocking, but you, you, you nail it. I mean, you'd think that this story of this young girl might cause people to take some pause and reflect on the right-hand side, on the right side. You, you know, we know the dog caught the car. The dog wasn't supposed to catch the car. We're about to begin having regular abortion horror stories. This mm. history we'll record was the first one. You might expect some self-reflection from folks on the right, realizing maybe they went too far. But that's not what happened. No, look, 96% of House Republicans voted against the right to contraceptives in 2022. A majority voted the, uh, voted against uh, marriage equality. Uh, a majority voted against uh, the right for a woman to control her body. 20 House Republicans today just voted against stopping human trafficking, which is, you know, mm -hmm. you would think that would be like a meatball down the middle. Hey, are you against human trafficking? I, I would hope everyone said, yeah, but 20 Republicans are like, nah. Uh, then you had Clarence Thomas in his concurring opinion openly say, we're going to go after marriage equality next and contraceptives, and they will ladies and gentlemen mm -hmm. take them literally and seriously and you know john back in the day we're, we're old heads we knew that conservatives even if they hated abortion folks they believed in exceptions for rape and incest i'm just talking about a couple of years ago yeah uh, and even now a majority of uh, republicans i think it's about 56 percent say hey, hey there should be some exceptions if a 10 year old girl gets raped uh, she should have the right to abort that baby but now Zero exceptions for rape and incest. And Zero. this should, you know, even that. And let me add one more crisis I didn't talk about climate change. If you just told me, hey, guys, prove to me that there's no both sides here. Prove to me that the Republican Party truly is a radicalized and weaponized counter majoritarian force. And prove to me that it's not just both sides. I would say, great. 
Here's one example, and then we'll settle the whole story once and for all. Republicans believe that climate change is a hoax created by China. Democrats believe in climate change, period. That's it. However, what Republicans have done is they've been able to launder and mainstream this disinformation with this four-part strategy that I described in, in the piece. And you did mention something which I think is worth uh, reiterating. It's not necessarily dumbing down, John. Is that Republicans are good at creating narratives and stories yes. that connect with people and, and, and inspire emotions. And then they rinse and repeat it. Most people aren't in the weeds like you and me. This isn't their job. That's They're true. overwhelmed. Income inequality, you know, a pandemic, uh, rising costs, right? They're trying to raise their kids. So you have to just break it down for them and explain to them what's happening. And once you connect the dots, people get it. That's why AOC is very smart at this. Elizabeth yep. Warren, Mallory McMorrow did a great job, right? Fetterman's doing a great job. And so what I tried to do in this piece is kind of give you an x-ray or a snapshot of the outrage machine that we started talking about in the beginning and why Republicans have been so useful at kind of uh, unleashing it to galvanize their base yes. around these well, two issues, particularly the big lie and abortion. And, and we see it all the time in the framing. I mean, right down to people consistently saying the Russia hoax, the Russia hoax years later, after Mueller gave us 10 counts of obstruction, after Paul Manafort was fired from being the campaign manager because of his ties to Russia. But it doesn't matter. They create their own reality. And if it's only true inside the bubble, that can be enough. And so for all of us who were shocked when we saw the vitriol directed at the story of this 10-year-old girl, you break it down very calmly, the four steps they use. And I, I, I think this is so vital. Everyone needs to read this piece and remember, because this is the playbook. And the first step you lay out is that we all know it. Republicans will use any means necessary to get power. That is the addiction. That's all they care about on the individual level and the group level. It's a cult of selfishness, as we say around here. And so anything they do, you have to know, will be in service of getting more power. How does that apply to, say, January 6th and the 10-year-old girl story? Okay, so for January 6th, as we've seen just yesterday, Donald Trump and his Republican allies will use any means necessary to do a coup. This means inciting a mob. This means creating a war room to come up with bullshit ideas, a coup in search of a legal theory. This means pressuring the Georgia State Secretary, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to find the votes. This means the fake electoral scheme, right? This means literally a violent insurrection to overtake the U.S. Capitol and overturn a free and fair election. When it comes to abortion, we have to look at the Supreme Court. As we saw, Mitch McConnell took a sledgehammer to democracy, cheated, did not give President Obama even uh, the right to hold a hearing for Merrick Garland, stole Correct. the seat, said it was a year before the election. We have to wait until the election. And then once people had already started casting their ballots, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. He said, 30 oh, million, sorry. 30 million. He casted their ballots. Yeah, 30, 30 million. million cast so sorry. I don't give a shit. My bad. I'm going to go against my own precedent. I'm going to bummer Amy Comey Barrett. Right. So now that you have stolen a Supreme Court seat, created a bullshit precedent that you you yourself betrayed. Now you have your six judges on the Supreme Court. Those six Supreme Court judges do not give a shit about the majority and instead want to impose their Christian nationalist view. And once they had the power, they said, that's it. We're going to bum rush all of the pretty much freedoms that have been gained in the past 50 years. We're coming after Roe v. Wade. And as I said, Justice Thomas has signaled that he's going after contraceptions and also marriage equality. But shockingly, John, shockingly, he did not mention loving v. Virginia, yeah. which uh, allowed interracial <laughs> marriage. I wonder why. Mm -hmm. Of all the precedents to uh, to suddenly care about. <laughs> and it's true. And this ties directly into Trump spending years talking about conspiracy theories about election fraud perpetuated by Democrats. He did it before 2016. Any state where he won, that was legitimate. Any state where he lost, it was clearly fraud. And he pushed it for so long that the narrative was already gospel in the minds of the true believers. Exactly. Which leads to the second step. And this is very important. You know, Timothy Snyder, a uh, uh, author of On Tyranny and an expert on authoritarianism, said that post-truth is pre-fascism. Post-truth is pre-fascism. Yeah. You have to create and promote disinformation and lies to radicalize this base through the right-wing ecosystem and to, like I said in the piece, kind of Jedi mind trick them into believing that they are actually the oppressed victims uh, and being oppressed by the actual victims. So when it comes to uh, the big lie, it's exactly that. Voter fraud, voter fraud, voter fraud. Uh, you know, I actually 
won. It's the deep state that's against me. And now a majority of Republican voters believe the big lie. When it comes to this abortion story, they're like, oh, my God, this is politically damaging to us. A 10 year old girl was raped and then she was denied uh, an abortion. She missed the deadline by three days. And then she had to go to Indiana to get the abortion. Hmm, what should we do? Let's lie. And so Fox News, <laughs> Tucker Carlson, Jesse Waters, Wall Street Journal, they all started casting doubt. This 10 year old girl is lying. This is a hoax. This is a fraud. And out of the gates, all of a sudden, a lot of people are like, wait, wait, with that 10-year-old girl story, that's just the deep state lying. So that's what right. happened was they're like, ah, this story is a hoax. The girl is lying. There's no proof that she actually had an abortion. And then later when the proof came, they did the pivot. And then the pivot was to the third step that we can unpack if you want to spend some time on this. I, I want to spend just a second more on it because as you phrase it, they create and promote disinformation and lies to frighten the base and Jedi mind trick them into believing they are being oppressed by the actual victims, that the actual victims are oppressing them. And, mm. you know, the core of this crown of, of, of lies is to make the heterosexual white Christian majority consistently believe that they are and have been an oppressed minority. That's and right. it is so thorough in every way. In the case of, uh, obviously, you know, Trump claiming election fraud, your votes were not heard. In the case of this young girl, yeah, they're lying to you. You're the victim. Jesse Waters called it a hoax. Uh, Carlson said politicians are lying about this story. I mean, only I think only the Wall Street Journal came out and owned up to the mistake and issued an apology, which is anathema to Trump world. Apologizing and taking responsibility is weakness. You never apologize, right? Which, which is the fourth step. The third step, though, is the pivot. And the pivot is when it comes to storytelling, this is important. And when it comes to victimhood. So exactly what you said, we are the victims. We are being oppressed. They are trying to replace us. They are trying to weaken Western civilization. We, the white Christian man in particular, are the biggest victims. And the villain in this particular case uh, specifically, if you give it a name that inspires like a, a target on their back. And in this case, it became the doctor that provided the abortion. Correct. So they said this doctor. Oh, she's actually the criminal. You know what? She didn't report that the fact that she did this abortion, even though she did. And then the in Indiana attorney general came on Fox News, said, I'm potentially going to prosecute her. And then once it was reported that she actually did report it, she's countered and she goes, I'm going to sue you for defamation. And they backed off, but they still kind of piled on then. They piled mm -hmm. on and started putting a target on this doctor's back. And this doctor has already had a target on her back because... Thanks to a right-wing anti-abortion website that is tied to Justice Amy Barrett. That's right. They put her name and the name of six other physicians and also their place of work on a website in which they said, oh, these are, you know, basically criminals who are killing babies. And as a result of that lie and as a result of that targeting, this doctor testified last year that she got kidnapping threats against her daughter, the intimidation. And that's what happens is you intimidate, intimidate, intimidate. And going back to a point you made earlier, you want to pretty much exhaust the person. You want them to tap out. That's what they did. Also, speaking of targeting to Lady Ruby and her daughter, yes. these election workers who are simply trying to do her job. And Rudy Giuliani promoted a bullshit conspiracy that put a target on their back. They said that Donald Trump targeted us. And as such, we tapped out. We went to isolation. We have trauma. Same thing with the Capitol Hill police officers. Fox yep. News, someone on Fox News said they're, they're crisis actors, led to them being traumatized as well. So you got to create a specific villain, target them, and then attack them through nonstop scapegoating, smearing, and intimidation. And it works. It's like lethal whataboutism. You know, it's a Hunter Bidening of anybody that gets in the way. Rusty Bowers is the best example. He comes up there, this lifelong Republican, supported Trump, even said he would support Trump again after his testimony, and just told the truth, was true to his oath, was country over party. And given the damaging information we were given about Donald Trump, the only pivot they could do was make lifelong loyal Republican Rusty Bowers the villain. And he's now been censured by That's the Republicans right. in his own party in, in the state of Arizona. And receiving death threats in, in his yeah. in his receiving death threats while his daughter uh, was actually, you know, dying. And then so the last step, once your lie is exposed and this lie was exposed pretty quickly when it came to the 10 year old girl, you don't apologize. You don't back down. You double down and then you pivot towards racism and fear mongering, right? That's always yeah. like the golden goose. And in this yeah. particular case, Tucker Carlson pivoted to 
the identity of the rapist. And he said, the real story, John, is not the is not this 10 year old girl who wants abortion. The real story is that an illegal alien raped her. Yeah. And voila, the outrage machine starts again. The spin cycle go. never stops spinning. You never have to actually face up to the fact that you were wrong, even dishonest. It's not even about we were mistaken. I mean, it's we lied. But again, look over here. Look over here. Uh, Carlson said the obvious headline was not about abortion. It was about the crime committed by against a child who raped a 10-year-old, an illegal alien. So right away, you're right. We pivot right back to an old reliable thing to distract the audience. Look over here. And the illusion of right-wing virtue exists because they're always throwing out examples of people shittier than us. That was Donald Trump's whole campaign against Hillary Clinton. Folks, she's just as bad as me. So what do you have to lose? And it worked. You know, people that's what I want to tell people. They say, you know, the power of narratives, the power of you know repetition. It's silly. It's stupid. It doesn't work. Let me give you a quick example. I'm glad you mentioned that 2016 for a year, John, for a year, Republicans deliberately put out the narrative that Clinton is corrupt. They Trojan horse it through mainstream outlets with the book Clinton Cash, right, that the New York Times spent an extensive time talking about. And then through the right wing ecosystem, they talked about, you know, the conspiracy theories. And then through the hearings, remember the BS Benghazi hearings and email gate, which Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader, uh, the Republican minority leader admitted in 2016 was done just to hurt Clinton. Now you repeat, 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 repeat. Fast forward a year, 2016. Because of the both sides framing, this right wing disinformation gets leaked into the mainstream and just enough people when they went to the ballot box, you know what was buzzing in their head, John? This Clinton is corrupt. Trump is corrupt. Both sides are corrupt. You know what? Eh, I'm going to go vote for Jill Stein. I'm going to sit out. I'm going to vote for Gary Johnson. You know what? I'll go vote for Trump. And voila, elections happen in the margins. She loses by 70,000 votes across three states. It works. This is what Republicans have realized, even though it's shameless, even though it's cruel, even though it's lies, the disinformation network and the four step strategy works. Our liberal friends are always saying we can't have any more time for incrementalism. Incrementalism is death. And I'm like, guys, the GOP has been showing us how incrementalism is the only thing that consistently works for 40 years. We got to hit a break. We'll be right back. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We are back. So where do you see the Democrats right now? I mean, you know, it is very curious to look at where the party's at. There are initial polls saying there's a big swing of independent voters to Democrats, and it looks like keeping the Senate might be more reasonable. How do you feel the Democrats need to message going forward, considering the Republicans, as you've pointed out, have their formula down? So I think they're slowly realizing that the people are fed up. And I always joke that Democrats bring a policy paper to a knife fight and Mitch McConnell yeah. brings a bazooka, right? And if Democrats ever brought a knife, they knife themselves. Uh, people want passion. People want to fight. People want to see it. And I think the examples of John Fetterman, Mallory McMurrow, and even AOC and Elizabeth Warren, especially in light of uh, the abortion ruling, kind of gives you a signal, right? So Fetterman, at least he 
portrays himself to be an unorthodox guy who talks uh, to the people, who's willing to take on the fight. He's authentic, right? It resonates with people. Now, let me give you a quick contrast, John. The DNC leadership decided to run with Connor Lamb. Connor Lamb is like the most moderate man on earth. It's it's like if Pelosi and Schumer were like doing a remake of Weird Science and they decide (laughs) to make their ideal Democratic candidate on a computer, it was Connor Lamb. Well, he's a veteran. He's he's a veteran, which reasonably the Democrats could have thought that could help them, right? Yeah, white, veteran, clean cut, you know, moderate across the lines. And then Fetterman is this guy who wears overalls. He's blunt. He's plain spoken. This guy literally was like recovering from near death in the hospital and overwhelmingly he won the democratic primary. What does that tell you? Right. Specifically Mallory McMorrow, when the Democrats in April had the strategy to not respond to Republican bad faith attacks, calling them pedophiles, Mallory McMorrow said, F this, I'm not going to be called a pedophile. She got up in front of the state Senate, right? Did a four and a half minute clip that went viral and not only responded, but proactively responded as a, white Christian mother and whose values inform her inclusivity and need for diversity. Huge response, right? You got Elizabeth Warren and AOC fighting back after the Supreme Court ruled its, um, uh, you know, uh, one against abortion. So if I'm the Democrats, Republicans have gone so far right, especially when it comes to abortion, when it comes to contraceptives, when it comes to book bans, Mm -hmm. when it comes to the January 6th violent insurrection, I would hit aggressively. I would hit aggressively nonstop. And the major theme narrative that I would say, John, is the following. Republicans are against freedom. Republicans are against liberty. Republicans are against democracy. And under that big tent, I would talk about January 6th, contraceptives, woman's right to choose, Mm -hmm. book banning, climate change and guns. You have a win on every single one of those pillars. I would simply say Republicans care more about guns than our kids. And, And you have a win. Right. Yeah. And so th- I would attack them on these issues. And I think they could take the Senate and I think the House losses would be greatly minimized. And I think it'll set them up for 2024. That's that's think, my TED talk. I think you're exactly right. And I think your TED talk is the Gavin Newsom 2024 model. I think we've already seen a preview of it. So I- I'm so grateful you could join us. Watch. Thank you so much. Before I do let you go, I, I-, I do have to ask you, um, what is giving you hope? Uh, what's giving me hope are those rugrats that just interrupted our first <laughs> a serious date. Uh, these three kids, they're lovely, they're kind, they're sweet, they're thoughtful. They know we're living in a pandemic. They wear their masks. They sanitize their hands. Uh, they're good, decent kids. And I, you know, they're three caramel mocha skin kids with multisyllabic names. And I refuse <laughs> to tell them that their only inheritance will be victimhood, that Thank they'll you. be good sidekicks and tokens. You know, my job and our job is to fight to expand and stretch this country so that this country accepts them and celebrates them as equal co-protagonists. We're not looking for special status. We just want equal status. So really being a father to these three kids on a daily basis gives me both joy and hope, and it inspires me to fight every single day, even when I'm feeling exasperated, overwhelmed, and despondent. We cannot afford to be cynical and apathetic. Wajahat Ali's new book is Go Back to Where You Came From and other helpful recommendations on how to become American. His essential piece in The Daily Beast is The Four Stages of Republican Misinformation. And you can hear him and Danielle Moody all the time on the Democracy-ish podcast. That was pretty painless. Thank you so much. I'm glad we finally made this happen. Well, thank you. The ball's in your court. I'll be waiting for your text. Uh, Please swipe right. And invite me again. <laughs> I don't want to seem too eager, so I'm going to wait like two days to text you. But not three, two, because I'll let you know I'm into it. And please, thank your children uh, on behalf of me for being the generation that's going to solve climate change and Medicare for all. Please thank them for me in the future. In the future, I, I hope so. But we got to empower them. we got to do our job. We're working on it. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> 